0: Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's First Kings chapter 21 verses 1 through 16 Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. So King Ahab lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezreel, or Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So, She wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the, the people. And then the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. The worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they said to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it.
1: This is the word of God. Thank you so much, Becky. You may be seated. I want to make mention real quick, if you appreciate Pastor Curtis and Pastor Alyssa, uh, make sure you express that to them. Even, I mean, in, in any way, compliments just what they've done in your life through children's ministry to your kids. Um, also, I mean, if you want to give them a Pentecostal handshake, go straight ahead. I don't know if you know what that is or not. That's where you put some money in your hand and you... Just tell them you'll love them and, uh, and, 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 uh, and do that. Or you can designate it in the offering as well. This is the word of God. Um, today is the end of the series on the Ten Commandments. I'm kind of sad. Um, I love this series. I love what the Ten Commandments reveal to us about the very nature of God. Um, the last command is very much ignored. It's, it's ignored not for the reasons the fourth command, to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, are ignored. Um, it's not that it's complicated, but that it's so frequently violated that most people would not like to think about it. G.K. Chesterton said, "The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting; it has been found difficult and left untried." The Ten Commandments have not been found wanting, but difficult. Or to put it another way, there is a quote from Pastor Abraham Kimfer: "There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence." over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Let me repeat that. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And when it comes to the last commandment, do not covet. Coveting says back to God, no, mine. When talking about coveting, we have the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. I think that that phrase must have come from somebody who had neighbors like mine, because my neighbors have beautiful properties in grass. I mean, they really go above and beyond. Not only are they like always green, and in Algona, that's kind of a minor miracle. Of course, one of them actually have a sprinkler system. Um, One of my neighbors, he actually grows peaches in Iowa. Can you believe this? peaches. And they taste great. They taste like Georgia peaches, but it's in Iowa. And I see them out every day, always um, always, uh, clipping, pruning, and doing these things. And uh, their grass is much greener than mine. Mine's lucky if I mow it once a month or so. In fact, one of my neighbors, um, squirrels like to go through our lawn, and they've made a rut um, through our lawn. In fact, one of the neighbor had cats. Actually, got wise to this, and now we have a different kind of problem with squirrel corpses. But anyway, um, they put up a sign saying "Squirrel Crossing." They have just wonderful, wonderful lawns. But I don't covet them. I don't want their lawn um, because I know if I had their lawn, their their lawn would look like my lawn in no time. And if they had my lawn, my lawn would look like theirs in no time. I just don't have the time or the interest into putting. That kind of work into my lawn. And that's a great example of how it's incredibly silly and petty coveting really is. The heart of the commandments. We have been going through this series on the Ten Commandments, or they're also known as the Decalogue. That is a word that means ten sayings or ten words. In each one, I have selected from the scripture an example of those who either kept the command or have broken it. For most of the commands, they seem very easy, very obvious, do not murder, Do not steal. Do not lie. We know what these things are, especially if they happen to us. Jesus comes on the scene, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells the people it is much more than the physical actions of the command, but the heart behind that. But they should have already known that. They should have already known. It's not just simply killing or murdering. It's not just lying or stealing. But we have the last command. It's the intention and the heart behind the action that matters. Do not covet is a command of the heart, not a command of actions, but it is the heart behind them. This command, along with the first command, do not have certain actions behind them, but every action behind them that is sinful and against God's very heart. In God's law, as we end the series on God's law, here are three takeaways you should have about the Ten Commandments, about God's moral law. One is that God's law is a mirror, This is the most significant for us before we knew Christ. This is the purpose of the law. It revealed to us our own sinfulness, the fact that we needed a savior. Without the law, we don't believe we need a savior. We'll say things like, well, I'm not perfect. Or I know I do this, but at least I'm not blank. But remember, even Rizzo in Greece could say that. Everybody can say that. The law reveals to us truly who we are, how God sees our hearts and our intentions. God's law, when we think on it, it reveals that we have a lot to answer for, a debt we cannot repay. So we need a savior. God's law also does this. It teaches us how to live free. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, were not given in Egypt, in the land of slavery. They were not given in Egypt and told to the people, follow these 10 right here and God will think about freeing you from the Egyptians. No, God frees them from the Egyptians. And once they are free, he gives them his law because the law is not a condition of freedom. It is instructions on how to live free now that you are free. You can't follow God's law and earn heaven. That is not the purpose of the law. Even your righteous deeds to God are like filthy rags because he sees the very intentions of our hearts. No, the law wasn't given as a test for freedom, but instructions on how to live free. Paul, in one of his more frustrated times, will write in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Everybody has a law in and of themselves that they try to follow, that they try to press on others. So what happens when we reject God's law? We end up with legalism. And he was so frustrated with the Galatians that they were trying to go back even to the ceremonial laws in order to be seen as righteous when God has proclaimed them righteous by the very blood of Christ. Why would you go back once you are free, back to slavery? The third thing God's law does for us, the Ten Commandments, it reveals to us the character and nature of God. They they tell us about the character and nature of God. God does not want you to have any other gods, for he is the greatest thing, and because he gives good gifts and will not give anything less. Because his very nature demands it, demands you have no other gods, no idols, because your God is alive. He is not a concept. He is not an idea in which you need to represent through physical means, but he is alive. His name is hallowed. It's not common. He is our rest. I'm right, I wrote an article for the paper that will come, come this Thursday at the uh, Kasuth County Advance, in which I talk about the fourth commandment, like I did, like I preached about several weeks ago, that Jesus Christ is our rest. Tomorrow, many will have a day off from work, but not many will have rest. Many people go, go on vacation, they come back, they're more stressed than when they came, because when we expect... Other things, when we expect vacations to give us rest, we will find out they are sorely lacking because Christ is our rest. He is also our father. And he expects us to honor our father and mother. He is the author of life. This is why taking life is such an abomination to him. God is the one who joins together a man and a woman and let no one put asunder what he has bound together. Adultery is against his very nature. He is, he is a giving God. There's no need to take other people's blessings. It is impossible for God to lie. And today he tells us we shall not covet. We should desire him and the blessings he's given us instead. Would you please play my video there, Jeb?
2: I got you each a gift no way jesus why awesome.
1: well i just love you guys so i wanted to get you something oh, wow. <laughs> so nice laura you first
2: oh wow, this is so exciting oh will you look at this a little eight ounce can of coke this is perfect for me i looked
1: everywhere to find a gift for you and this just seemed to fit i love it true <laughs> yeah your turn all right
2: <laughs> no way jesus seriously Oh yeah. 20 ounces of coke mm-hmm. yeah baby Woo! this is awesome Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. you Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on.
1: Okay. Hey, Laura, is there a problem?
2: No. I mean, well, yeah, kind of, you know, it's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? I mean, like, I open my gift, and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift, and, hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Well, that's what I want. Um, go get it for me. Okay, if that's what you want. Yeah. I got a liter! <sighs> I know, it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes! Oh. Okay, you know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so
0: mad. Laura, check it out! I got an upgrade, Coke 3.0. That is awesome! I know! <laughs>
2: well, isn't that just great?
0: Yeah! Hey, Jesus, you rock! Yeah! What is
2: wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me?
1: I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy.
2: No, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me.
1: Laura, I picked this gift out for you.
0: That's what I wanted you to see.
2: I don't care.
0: Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of coke
1: it was coveting that convinced the palace of paul to break his to that broke him of his self-righteousness he he will write in romans chapter 7 verses 7 and 8 what shall we say then is the law sinful certainly not nevertheless i would not have known What sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Coveting produces all sorts of sins. Alistair Begg, in his sermon about coveting, gives a short list of what coveting produces. One, it spoils relationships. More like that in a minute. Um, spoils relationship two. It breaks the second of the greatest commandments. Now, not of the Ten Commandments, but when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He repeats from Deuteronomy, the you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said the second is like it, and he took it from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself coveting breaks this commandment when it comes to coveting we always look at the person ahead of us why do they have these blessings and i don't and we don't realize what about the people behind us who say why do they have that blessing and i don't they don't deserve it and we would not like that we would not like to hear that person's explanation of our blessings would we We we'd say no i worked hard for this well so did the person that you think has the greater blessing. Or maybe they didn't, but that's God's blessing to them. Why aren't you content with what God has given you? First Timothy says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, in the book there is this company that tries to follow to the best of their ability um, communist ideals. And the person that's talking about it says, "We all looked at the bosses, we all looked at the people who were making more than us. We didn't realize there was a legion of people behind us looking at us as though we were the bourgeoisie." It breaks the second commandment because it does not we do not love people the way we wish we were loved. It spits in the face of God, our provider. We know he is Yahweh Jireh, which means God my provider. But when we covet, we think these blessings are very small potatoes. It's just an eight ounce can of Coke. It makes you selfish. And finally, it sets your mind on earthly things as though they are the most important. It's about time I talk about what coveting actually is. It's a word we don't use much anymore. Can you put up my slide slide that says covenant, um, covet meaning? There we go. Thank you. Um, covet and meaning. It's a word we don't use much anymore, even in the, in the English. However, I noticed I looked at about six, seven different translations in Exodus, and all of them were used the word covet. So I thought, why don't we talk about what covet means? Covet is much more than envy. I'll explain that in a second here. It is the word kamad, kamad. It is to desire, to take pleasure in, to delight in. This can be used and translated in different ways. In the Old Testament, kamad is translated as beauty, as pleasure, as many things. But in this context, universally, everybody sees this as the word covet, because what this is, it's to have the desire for things and people and status and power and love for those things that you should be giving to God. It makes our mind on earthly things. So within coveting, within khamad, we have greed, envy, and lust. Greed, envy, and lust. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings it back to this because the people at the time were so legalistic that even this last commandment they tried to make into a work instead of the intentions of the heart. There are Jewish, there are Jewish theologians who will then take a word and try to be like, well, no, it's when you actually take because you are coveting. It's like, well, then that's stealing and redundant. God is talking about the desires of our heart. Greed, envy, and lust in fact in this one command you might see all of the seven deadly sins the word here once again the original language command it means to desire covet to take pleasure to delight in in this one word we have both envy greed and lust it's different than admiration admiration is good admiration simply is rejoicing with those who rejoice even if it's something we think we deserve this is difficult when we are, especially when we're close friends with somebody and they achieve in an area we think we're good in, it's hard to rejoice with them. It's easier to come out, to make that thing our heart's desire. And of course, that strains that relationship. That promotion, the position in the club or organization, we covet more than just property, but, but, even, but we covet even significant others of our neighbors, as in the command. Admiration is where you can be happy and think something is beautiful or amazing without wanting it for your own. Can you do that? Can you see a blessing in someone else's life and be happy for them without thinking, I want that, I deserve that instead of them? Coveting would say no. The best examples of coveting in all of fiction has to be Lord of the Rings with the character of Smeagol, also known as Gollum. Gandalf says a Sméagol that his heart is set on the ring that he hates and loves the ring as he hates and loves himself and i'm like that is the heart of coveting it's like tolkien are you writing for today that's what we see today the constant pursuit coveting of status of things of people and those people who covet they hate themselves all the more and they love themselves all the more it's amazing if you read if you read, if you read psychology journals and everything that there's been a dramatic increase in two things in the American psyche narcissism and depression yeah. that in pursuit of all the things our culture tells us to pursue we hate and love them as we hate and love ourselves advertising is all about coveting it's all about greed it's all about envy it's all about lust I could probably write a book on the Ten Commandments about advertising. But the fear of missing out is huge. Are you going to be a square and not, not enjoy what other people are enjoying? It's a great way of getting people to part with their money. You have to have it. You have to have it right now before everybody else thinks less of you. And they don't want you to know that once you have it, in a month or two, you'll look at it and you're like, why do I even have this piece of garbage? Sitting in my house right now is a good 50 pounds of plastic for Guitar Hero and and rock band. And we haven't played that in about, I don't know, 10 years. But at the time, you had to have it. You don't want to be a square, do you? Advertising does not want us to think about that. It wants to increase that fear of missing out in us. Now, the one thing that you don't want, the one thing that they want us to think about as most of that stuff in a couple years, in a month, or maybe even the next day, is going to just be garbage. What do we covet? We covet more than just physical things, but I want to break this down into three areas in which we covet greed, envy, and lust. One of those is, of course, physical. We covet other people's property, either just the desire to possess that house or despising the person who owns it we covet clothes. When Achan, after the battle of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down, there was one man, instead of doing what God said, just leave everything as a tribute to God because he's your provider, not the plunder. He decided to take some for himself. And when he was confronted on this, this is what he said. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. When I was looking for images for my PowerPoint, I just typed in "covet" into the search bar. I found this. uh, I found this business called Covet Fashion. Aiken would have been a uh, would have been a customer. There's cars, of course. In fact, in the '80s, um, uh, the Aston Martin ran an ad in a bunch of newspapers, and it was. And the ad said this: "Demoralize your thy neighbor." In the 80s, it was all about keeping up with the Joneses. But if you got an Aston Martin, they couldn't keep up with you. And they said, how how lame, how common it is to have a Jaguar and these things. If you had an Aston Martin, I mean, they would just be, what are we going to do? We can't keep up with that. Cars, clothing, property, and of course, money. Of course, money coveting money, of having either greed for money or envy associated with money has epitomized our culture for so long, whether it's the greed of the 80s, greed is good, or in the early 2000s, we had the slogan, eat the rich. You know, nothing's okay. There's no reason to make it okay to hate your neighbor, your rich neighbor, your poor neighbor, your neighbor, whatever the reason. Here's the second area we covered in. That is socially. Relationship and status. Bill didn't deserve that promotion. I did. Bill is just a buffoon. Sorry if your name is Bill. Bill is just the word I use, the name I use, for I'm talking about a fictitious person. One thing that will come become between close friendships is one of those friends achieving faster than the other's. If you have 3 people who start as junior executives and one person becomes a senior ob- objective ob- executive, you can guarantee the other two are talking trash behind his back. They're talking about the things that he had to do to gain that that they would never do. Once again, we always do the comparison game, don't we? I just saw on Facebook actually uh, Becky Dow, who's not even who's who's uh, watching kids right now had posted it. Why do we envy and compare ourselves to people who live lives that we wouldn't want to live? Who don't have the goals that we want to live? Who don't want to raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Why are you envying their Instagram? Fantastic. One thing that comes between close friends, even again, between family members, is one achieving faster than the other. We covet in relationships. In this very command, it says not to covet your neighbor's wife. I think of the song in the 80s, Jesse's Girl. It's all about coveting his, his best friend's girlfriend. You're like, what a, what a slime ball, right? And it's just the whole song he's talking about, but at least he says, where can I find a woman like that? So he has some boundaries. And in the early 2000s, you had Avril Lavigne's song, Girlfriend. It's the one that goes, hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your girlfriend. And you find out later in the song, why doesn't she like her girlfriend? Why does why she like her friend's girlfriend? She says, hey, hey, you, you, I could be your girlfriend. So a little less than uh, even uh, Jesse's girl right there. We covet relationships, even intimate partner relationships. We also covet status and power. Last week, I preached on Ananias and Sapphira, who coveted the respect and honor a man named Joseph, who they nicknamed the son of encouragement, had. So they tried lying even to the Holy Spirit and receive death from that fruit. There is so much to say about this command. I'm almost at a loss when I was writing this sermon this week because there's so many areas I could talk about, so many examples from this scripture, some examples in our culture, about setting our affections and our passions on things and stuff, on anything that is not God. There is a one-to-one connection between the first and the last commandment for that very reason. It comes down to idolatry. We don't respect or are content with him and what he gives, so we set our heart on earthly things. There's a story it may never have happened about Rockefeller being asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? His response, just a little more. Many covet money. They think, oh, if I could win the lottery, my problems would be over. But as the sage, notorious B.I.G. said, mo' money, mo' problems. 70% of all lottery winners end up going broke and filing for bankruptcy. Only 55% of them felt like that they were happier after winning the lottery than before. 43% said that their money had no effect on their happiness. Only 43%. The fact is, some of the blessing you receive from God is God not flooding your bank account with money. And this doesn't even include how many divorces and estrangement from family that arise from from, from getting increases in your bank account out of nowhere. All of these are from Brandon Galilee, small business and marketing advice. The commandment also reveals to us something important when it comes to the very nature of God. God doesn't covet. Not in the way we understand. He is satisfied in the unity and fellowship that is, that is found within the Trinity. Jesus revealed a life free from coveting and it was a life of freedom and joy. He lasted 40 days in the desert without food and water because why? Man shall not live on bread alone. In John 4, 32, he tells his disciples he has food they know nothing about. They think he's talking about he's giving them a hard time because they didn't bring food for the trip. And so Jesus is like, no, no, I'm talking figuratively. I can just imagine... Jesus with the disciples rolling his eyes a lot, probably not as much as he'd have to roll his eyes with me. In his high priestly prayer, he pleads with the father to have the glory that he had before the foundation of the world with the father. This made him obedient to death, even death on the cross. The freedom that ensues following this command is best expressed in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth and earth has nothing I desire besides you. The Lord saved me when I was a teenager. And I remember the, the moment, I mean, I knew that God had made a major change in my life, but when I knew that there was no going back, it was this, when it came time for Christmas and my mom asked me what I wanted, I said nothing because truly in my heart, there was nothing I desired anymore for it was in Christ. Now, later on, I understood it's okay to enjoy things, just don't make them your joy. Enjoy every blessing God gives you because those are blessings God has given you. They should result in praise and thanksgiving, but don't make them your joy. Don't set your hearts on them. And certainly don't set your hearts on the blessings of others. That is setting our hearts on what is earthly. One of the first sermons I preached here is on the scripture that I'll be preaching from today. You may have noticed this is a very long introduction. It's going to be a shorter body, this sermon. Don't worry. We'll get out around two or so, you know, But one of the very first sermons I preached on at this church was, well, I labeled it How to Destroy the People of God in Three Easy Steps. And it was about Jezebel, Ahab, and Naboth. Now, this sermon you can't find on our website. And unfortunately, it wasn't recorded well. So I guess you have no proof that I preached this twice. So there's that. But honestly, I won't be preaching it beat for beat. We're looking at the lens of coveting, which is easy because this is is one of the greatest examples you'll find in Scripture about how dangerous coveting is. It starts in the heart and will result in so much destruction. I had labeled that sermon, How to Destroy the People of God, in Three Easy Steps, because as I took over as pastor of this church, I wanted you to know that this church will not grow if we follow those three things. This church will always be handicapped. I don't care if a thousand people come to this church. If, this is, if these three things are going on, we will not grow in the way that God wants us to. Many of our churches are destroyed because of coveting. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon beat for beat, but this is, an, this is our example of how destructive coveting is this morning. This is the fruit of coveting in your soul. Here's one, coveting makes you pout. Two, coveting makes you vindictive. And three, coveting makes you sell your integrity. Here's the first one. Coveting makes you pout. I said before, coveting involves both envy and greed. They are the same in intention, but different in actions. Both says, I don't desire God. I desire fill in the blank. Naboth didn't desire God. He desired a vineyard. And not just any vineyard, but Naboth's vineyard. And he wouldn't sell. You know the crazy thing? In, in, his, in his appeal to Naboth, he reveals he has other pieces of land he's not doing anything with. But no, it has to be this vineyard. And when Naboth tells him, no, nope, it's not for sale, he goes back home. He won't eat or drink. He's just laying down on his bed and he's pouting like a child would. Thomas Aquinas, in his work Summa Theological, says, Envy is sorrow for another's good. George Will says, envy is the, is the only one of the seven deadly sins that doesn't even give momentary pleasure for the sinners, for, for the sinner. If you go to the grocery store today, if you go to Walmart or Target, go to the toy aisle. And you'll see kids telling their mom and dad, I want that, I want that. Go to the playground, you see kids yelling at each other, I want that. And when they don't get with their way, they pout, they pound their, their fists. They shake, they do everything what Ahab, a grown man and king of Israel, is doing here. This is the fruit of envy in our life. It makes us pout. It's not even enjoyable in its season. You might read this and wonder why, why is Naboth being so unreasonable? The king is offering money. He's offering other land. But he's not being unreasonable. He's being faithful. The land of Israel that is given to each tribe was not given by their king. You know, here in America, if you own a piece of land, that's supposed to be yours, not the government's. I mean, that's the whole idea, but that's the whole heart behind even making America is that you don't have a king and a landlord. You are the owner of the land and you have sovereignty over that land. In Israel, it was a bit different. Their land was not given to them by purchase or even by conquest, but by God. And what that meant was that you could incur debt on the land, but in the year of Jubilee, that debt went away because the land could not change hands because that land was given by God so only God could give or take it away. Naboth is not being unreasonable. He knows that this is the inheritance of his family and he cannot compromise on this. And this makes Ahab furious. It makes him pout. It was given by God and given to the families. It could not be permanently sold. We see coveting in churches. We see envy and greed. I wish That wasn't the case. I wish churches and people who call themselves Christians were free from this. Instead, it's covered up. It's dressed up. There's even an attempt to repackage envy and greed and lust and to make it seem as holy, sensible, and right. With greed, we tell people to dream big. Imagine the car. Imagine the house. Imagine that woman or man and speak it and God will make it into existence. But what we are training people to do is set your hearts on things of this earth. Maybe we add other spiritual words to it, like speak it in faith, speak it in the power of the Holy Spirit, but still it is setting our hearts on things of this earth. Then you have churches who will preach envy. You don't have something because someone stole it from you. How did they steal it from you? Well, we don't know. The fact that they have it and you don't is an, is evidence that they did. And we tell and we and then we train people how to envy instead of how to rejoice with those who rejoice and who have contentment mixed with godliness, which is great gain. This is all, notwithstanding, not including people who literally steal from churches, who hate the person who shows up with their perfect family, their perfect job, and whatever else is, is, is in their hate-filled fantasy of their brother or sister in Christ that they are coveting. And that's a really sad thing. People almost want to make it seem okay, not only no, okay, but noble, to hate somebody else for the blessings God has given them. Oh, they come in here and they try to make them seem like hypocrites or whatever, and they judge them in their own hearts. They see the families, they're like, they come in here with their 2.5 kids, their good job, and all these things. That's just a a coveted, filled, hate-filled fantasy. That's the second point. It makes us vindictive. As we read verses 5 through 14, we have Jezebel come into the story. Where does hate come from? James 2.4 explains the next part of this story for us. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James will go on to say, because you ask with wrong motives. Jezebel doesn't know Naboth and she doesn't care. He is a bug standing in the way of her husband. She takes that personally and hates him for it. So much hatred comes from coveting and hatred according to Jesus is the same as the sin of murder. And this leads her to involve so many in her plot to murder Naboth. Verse five, but Jezebel, his wife said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you not govern Israel? You know what's funny about that? Do you not govern Israel? No, he doesn't because she does. Jezebel loves how weak Ahab is, but Ahab is responsible for what happened in the kingdom of Israel. Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezerite. And you know what Ahab doesn't say? How? Because he doesn't care. In fact, he couldn't care less when Naboth and his whole family are murdered by Jezebel. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. How many people... Maybe not physically murder, but they murder the person in their heart who they covet. The plot Jezebel comes up with an intricate plot that breaks so many of the commandments. I said before, sin does not happen in a vacuum. Sin involves much more sin. James one, chapter fifteen. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully born, uh, when it fully, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Desire that 's coveting, remember desire means to set our affections on to eagerly desire when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sins and, and desire's litter has a lot of puppies in it. We start with coveting, but by the end of but by the end of this story, we have seven of the ten commandments that are broken, not bad. <laughs> We have gossips and gossip and lies. In my sermon on how to destroy a church in three easy steps, to destroy the people of God in three easy se- steps, number two was gossip and lies. The king and queen don't just kill Naboth; they assassinate his character too to make him a stench in those who know him or knew him. Coveting makes you vindictive, and for most people, they express it. They express this through lies and gossips. When you spit your venom about that person. Have you examined that person's motives, or are you just venting? What's your intention when you gossip other than to kill the shadow, the straw man, or the person that you have built up in your mind? You know what's really sad about this? When we get to 2 Kings chapter 5, you might wonder, okay, so Naboth is dead, but what about his son? How did Ahab so easily gain control of Naboth's property? In 2 Kings chapter 5, it tells us that God saw the blood of Naboth and his sons, they stoned Naboth to dead and his entire family over a vineyard. Over a vineyard, but it started with coveting. Gossip and lies will destroy. Here's the third one. Coveting leads you to sell your integrity. Verses 15 and 16. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had sto- was stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And Ahab said, How did this happen? No. But as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreite to take possession of it. We'll have a rebuke from Elijah, the prophet. And in verse 20, he will say to Ahab that he has sold himself. We see this in verse 15 and 16. He may not have come up with the plot, but like Sapphira, he is every bit responsible for it. He hears about it and he takes what he wanted. He sells his integrity for what? A vineyard. What he wanted for a vegetable garden because it was close to his house. On top of that, he had better land just lying around. That's some cheap integrity. Selling yourself. Sold yourself in the Hebrew, it's makar. And it means to be sold into slavery, be sold as a prostitute. People need to stop selling themselves. Especially when God has made you free. The king is not a free man. He has sold himself into slavery, into prostitution. Setting our hearts on earthly things does that. And God wants you to live free. That is what the Ten Commandments are for, is how to live free. Integrity is the hardest thing to get and the easiest thing to lose. What price is your integrity? What price is your integrity? What compromises are you willing to make in order to get gain? Can I speak to unmarried young men in this room? You set the standard of purity for your life, not the gal you're dating. There's a saying that men are the gas and women are the brakes. It is beneath contempt a man who will do anything to satisfy his earthly pleasures. That is a person with no self-control. You know what that is? It's a dog. Jezebel surrounded herself with dogs. She loved her king when her king acted like a dog and would just do whatever she wanted him to do. She had eunuchs all around her. Now, of course, they could not have their physical pleasure satisfied, but she gave them wealth. She gave them status, and they were just dogs. A person who will just do anything to get what they want Is a dog, they have no self-control. But God has bought you. He has made you precious. And when the Bible says, do not indulge in sexual immorality, it's because God bought you with a price. Young men, do you have a standard for purity for yourself that you carry into relationships? I hope you do. Because God has bought you with a price. He has set you up. He has adopted you as his son. Don't be a dog. Jezebel surrounded herself with dogs. And in the end, dogs devoured her. Quite literally. Dogs literally ate her. We sell our integrity for so cheap, for so little. This is why the world hates people who don't do it. Because so many have. So many live lives of constant compromise, because they believe this compromise will get them what they truly want, what their true heart's desire is. And here is God saying, I am what fills you. I am what satisfies you. Stop chasing all of these things, wanting these things. It's so sad to see the last couple of years since COVID hit. How many people started OnlyFans? You know what I'm talking about. Selling their purity and their integrity for so little. It's something that you lose and you never get back. So many people selling what they know in their heart is right because they just want to go along to get along. It's because we covet. We covet people's good word about us. We covet money and we're worried about getting fired if we don't compromise here. We want that person so we change ourselves into whatever that person might like. And we only find out a few years into marriage that, okay, I can't keep living this lie. We sell our integrity for so cheap and starts with a covetous heart as Ahab found out. When Ahab sees Elijah, he says, oh, you found me, my enemy. And Elijah says, yeah, I found you because you sold yourself. Don't sell yourself. You've already been bought and you can't even do it really because you've been bought with a price. If you are in Christ, you've been bought with a price. So don't sell yourself. In conclusion, how do you kill coveting? Worship team, you can come up at this time. John Piper says, covet this is desiring something so much that you lose contentment in God. You want to live free from coveting? Live in contentment. Like the psalmist says, there is nothing on earth I desire but you. This is being tested as you see so many major ministry, many churches their leaders falling, you see people being put to the test. Are you following because of a man or because of a woman? Are you following because your heart is set on the Lord and there is no one on earth I desire but you? Here's what we need to realize when it comes to coveting. You can't do it on your own. We have to come to the throne of grace and God, teach me to be content. Teach me to live in thanksgiving instead of constant desire for things that will not fill me. To know the secret that Paul knew is to be content in plenty and in want. To trust that God really is my provider and my portion. Do you find yourself greedy or envying or desiring something from someone else? Are you a complainer or a grumbler? Or as C.S. Lewis said, becoming a grumble? Do you find yourself being vindictive, gossiping, How expensive is your integrity? Here's what the Bible tells us to do, is to take captive every thought. We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion, rise against the knowledge of God, and take captive every thought to obey Christ. You want to kill covet in your life? Realize it, be metacognitive. I know that's a big word, meaning be aware of what you're thinking. It's in this that so much it is in our it is from the overflow of our heart our mouth speaks examine your conversations with others if you have a conversation with somebody ask yourself after that was i was i was i presenting myself in a way that would honor christ or demean him when i was talking about others was i was i trying to lift them up or rip them down to lift myself up It's easy for us to fall into that attitude of, I'm the only good person who does X, Y, and Z. And then we assume other people's motives, especially when somebody's venting to us. That's a very easy thing to do because we want to see good in their eyes. But we have the command, do not covet your neighbor's belongings. Don't rip them down in your mind thinking, well, I deserve it, and they don't. How about this? It says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. This is one thing I see in, in many different relationships. Is that somebody the opposite sex who's married will vent about, about the significant other to you and you need to resist the temptation about piling on. Amen. Instead, speak that person up in that person's mind. Because what are you trying to do? Take their affections away from their spouse? That's not. That's coveting your, that your neighbor's spouse. Talk them up. Take your complaints to God. It will change your perspective on that matter. Worship team, would you lead us in our final song as we end these Ten Commandments? I hope you understand them. If you do not know Christ, maybe you're upset with me and you're like, man, Pastor Jason's very judgmental. Let me tell you something. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's using God's law to bring you to himself because you have no other place to go. You can't be righteous on your own. You can't be good enough on your own to inherit the kingdom of God. You have to come on your face, on your knees, to the cross of Christ to find mercy and grace. I want you to know that if you are in the bondage of sin today, there is freedom. And God has shown us this. How do you live now as free? Do not be burdened again by another yoke of slavery. Allow the Spirit to produce in you fruit and be on guard against the acts of the flesh which we see in the Ten Commandments. And then revel in the majesty and ecstasy of knowing your God through his commands. For they tell you of his nature, that our God is always faithful. Do you feel abandoned by God sometimes? Remember the Ten Commandments say, I am the Lord your God, you shall. Do you feel like I don't have the strength to overcome the sin? You don't, but he is the Lord your God, so you shall. And you have power in him to do all things he has asked you to do. During this last song, we should meditate upon this. What has entangled me that I need freedom from? I don't know him, if the the law of God has proven that to me, I need to come to him in faith and repentance and receive salvation. Would you please stand as we sing our final song?